I wonder, do you ever struggle to connect your Christian faith with the rest of your life? It's interesting that we began um, our time together by singing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, and we're reminding ourselves of who God is. But I wonder how easy it is for you to, to carry those truths with you throughout the rest of the week. Well, let me put it another way. Have you ever been inspired on a Sunday to live wholeheartedly for Jesus and then struggle to take that energy with you throughout the rest of the week? You go from being on a high on a Sunday afternoon and then it's back to survival mode or whatever occupies you throughout the rest of the week. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, For the past few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Joseph from Genesis, right? And we've seen how God's been intricately at work in the details of Joseph's life. God was preparing Joseph for the significant role that God would have him play in the future. Joseph had a a part to play in the unfolding story of God's people. And it's been great. It's, It's been really inspiring. But do you sometimes struggle to believe that God is as present and as active in your life as he was in Joseph's? Uh, I definitely struggle with this. For example, last week we, we saw that Joseph was a, you know, he was a spirit-filled man. And so I, I, I went away from church eager to be a spirit-filled man as well. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be spirit-filled. And so I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to pray about that this week. Um, you can guess how that went. Or you can speak to my wife. (laughs) All it took was a a bad night's sleep and heavy demands at work and all hopes of being spirit-filled just seemed to evaporate into thin air. Do you get what I mean? It's not not just me. That's that's reassuring. (laughs) Or maybe you're just being nice to me. Okay. so many of us, we, we struggle to connect our, our Christian faith with uh, the rest of our lives. But what I find really funny and interesting uh, is when we look at the, the, the stories in the Bible carefully, we realize that the people we read about are, are just like us. So when an angel appears to them, they're not like, ah, oh, an angel, again, ugh. Like they're, they're shocked, they're surprised that the angel always has to say, don't be afraid, like, chill out, calm down, it's okay, breathe. It's okay. Because these things didn't happen. Often what we're reading is the highlights and the lowlights of people's lives. They live very ordinary lives like we live. And so when God steps in in a a powerful way, it's really shocking. It's really surprising. And so actually when we we pay attention, we we look carefully, we realize that these, these people are just like us. They're just as flawed. They have the same doubts, the same fears, the same unsteady faith. They had no idea that we'd still be reading about them thousands of years after they lived. They didn't know they were going to get into the Bible. And so this morning, I'd like to encourage us by looking at an episode in the life of Zechariah, the priest. I hope that we'll be challenged by his faith, but also see ourselves in his doubts. So in a moment, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1. But before I do, let me pray. Father God, we we, we praise you because you are the same God that we read about in the scriptures. 
and you are just as active and at work as you were then. So, Father God, we ask that you'd help us to believe that and to believe that's true of our lives as well. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from verses 5 to 25, and we'll just uh, kind of step through that afterwards. And let me, let me read these verses. <clears throat> In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these things, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. With Zechariah, there are definitely things about his life that we can identify with, but his family background probably isn't one of them. Have a look again at verse 5. It talks about uh, Zechariah being a priest in the division of Abijah, one of the daughters, uh, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. So Zechariah was a descendant of Aaron the high priest. That's a that's a big deal. He could trace his ancestry all the way back from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through to Levi and Aaron, the very first high priest in Israel. So Zechariah, he he was a priest, and he was related to the very first high priest in Israel. Imagine being a writer who could trace your descent back to William Shakespeare. 
It's that kind of thing. Zechariah was a priest who could trace his history back to Aaron, the first high priest. And he was married to Elizabeth, who was another descendant of Aaron. So no doubt he, he, would, have, he would have felt a great sense of pride because of his family background and also because of his calling as a priest. Uh, let me say a little bit um, about priests. The priests in Israel, they acted as go-betweens. Uh, they were mediators, bridge builders between God and the people. They knew how to relate to God, and they taught the people how to worship God properly. They represented the people before God. They, they offered prayers and sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so as a priest, Zechariah's life revolved around God's relationship with his people and the people's relationship with God. But there was a problem, because the people's relationship with God was terrible, So as much as it was a privilege to be a priest, it would have been really depressing at times. Zechariah would have hated how bad things were between God and the people. And here's why. When God first established his relationship with Israel as a nation, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt in order for them to be free to worship God. He was showing them a better way to live. And when God chose Israel, he had the rest of the world in mind as well. It wasn't just an exclusive thing he was doing down here. God's intention was that through Israel, he was going to reach everyone else. He chose Israel to reach the world. So in the midst of a, in a dark and dangerous world, Israel was called to shine as a light, illuminating the right path, showing people how to live in right relationship with God. Israel was to be a beacon of truth and justice for the surrounding nations. God's intention was for Israel to be such an exemplary nation that they would be advertising his goodness and wisdom for everyone to see. Their purpose on earth was to show the peoples of the world how wonderful it is to live in intimate relationship with God. But often, Israel failed in that mission. They turned away from God to serve other gods. Instead of being an example to the nation, they were just like the other people. They were guilty of the same violence, the same immoral behavior, the same idolatry. They rejected the God who made them and rescued them. They rejected God and they served false gods. And as a result, God allowed them to be defeated, humiliated, and oppressed by a succession of invading nations and empires. So you had the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, And during Zechariah's time, it was the Romans. They were in charge. And the whole thing was just humiliating for the people of Israel. And much to Zechariah's distress, being defeated by the Romans, it hadn't led to a great revival, people turning back to God. Instead, it had the opposite effect for many. Some, like the tax collectors and the supporters of Herod, they were willing to cooperate with the Romans as long as they could profit from it. Others, like the Pharisees, they weren't really interested in relationship with God as long as they were able to maintain their status and their power amongst the people. And so as Zechariah looked around him, he, he just felt that God's people, the, the state of God's people, they were a hot mess. It was really bad. And so even though Zechariah was a priest in the temple of the one true God, he would have felt great grief at times. Israel's not enjoying God's blessing, and so the rest of the world was remaining in the dark. 
There was such a, a stark difference between God's promises and the reality that he was living in that all he could do at times was, was grieve, was, was cry about it. Zechariah's personal circumstances were another source of grief for him. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth, no doubt they, they wanted to have children, but they were unable. And they were physically too old. Not, not being able to, to have children is, is incredibly painful, as, as some of you know all too well. And Zechariah and Elizabeth would have had the additional uh, social shame, the pain of a, a social shame because of their circumstances. And it's clear from verse 6 that they'd done nothing wrong. They weren't being punished or disciplined. They were exemplary believers. I can only imagine how many prayers Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed over the years, asking God, begging God for them to be able to have children. In fact, one child would do. And each time it felt as though their prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. Perhaps they blamed themselves. They, they probably didn't think of themselves as model believers. You know, when, when, when verse 6 calls them righteous and blameless, it doesn't mean that they were sinless. It probably just means that they were they were quick to, to ask for forgiveness when they messed up. Regardless, they, they, they might have blamed themselves for their infertility. Their inability to have children would have caused an unbelievable amount of stress and pain. And, and maybe at times they, they felt like giving up altogether. I mean, what's the point of following God if, you know, what's the point of being a priest if when you ask, for God, when you ask God for something as, as, you know, as small as having a child, he says no. And as they got older, the idea of continuing to ask God for, for children, it, it just seemed so silly. They, they probably just gave up praying for that altogether. I wonder whether we're already seeing some resonances between Zechariah and ourselves. Let me uh, run through a few uh, points of connection. If we're followers of Jesus, you may not think about it in this way often, but if we're followers of Jesus, we're actually priests. That's what the New Testament says about us. We're described as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So we're called to be what Zechariah was, mediators, go-betweens, examples of what healthy relationship with God looks like. We're invited, we're called to, to speak to God on behalf of people when we pray. And we're to invite people into relationship with God. We're, we're priests, we're mediators. So Zechariah was a priest and so are we. And therefore, as priests, we should be very concerned about the state of God's people and the state of the world. Followers of Jesus are called to play a very similar, similar role in the world as Israel was called to do. God's intention is for his church to advertise his goodness and wisdom for all the world to see. Our purpose on earth is to show people how wonderful it is to live in intimate relationship with God. And sometimes that's exactly what happens. 
Maybe you're, you're one of the people who has joined us over the past year or so. You've put your faith in the Lord Jesus, and that's awesome. That's, that's something that we celebrate every time we hear of another person coming to faith in Jesus. But one thing that I've observed is that it seems that nowadays most people don't find church or Christianity very attractive at all. If anything, it feels like people are more hostile than they were in the past. Christians are, are portrayed as, as bigots, as hypocrites in the media. Colleagues at work are happy to ridicule Christian beliefs. And sadly, in the West, it, it feels like many of the criticisms are fair. At times, we have been bigots. We have been hypocrites. People are right to recognize that often we don't resemble the Lord Jesus, and they call us out on it. It's, you know, it's right that they do so. And so in a world marked by violence and justice and pain, the church is often not the light it should be. We're not the Christians we long to be, if we're honest. There's a tragic mismatch between what we're called to be as God's people and reality. So like Zechariah, our calling as priests can be a great source of sorrow for us. And in addition to the pain we feel over the state of the world or the state of the church, there's also the pain we feel over the state of our own lives. We too have prayers that just seem to bounce off the ceiling. There are things that we've prayed to God about and, and maybe we've decided to, to stop praying to God about because the prayers seem to be unanswered. Perhaps you blame yourself. You think that you're suffering because you're not a good enough Christian. Maybe you're tempted to give up. Uh, if that's you, I'd like to just pause for a moment and just offer you three truths from the life of Zechariah, which I hope will be an encouragement to you. Uh, the first truth, just from what we've seen so far, is that God sees you. God sees you. You desire to trust God. You desire to serve him. It's hard, but you're trying. God sees you. Even though verse 6 describes Zechariah and Elizabeth as righteous and blameless, I'm pretty certain they didn't see themselves that way. All they saw was their failures, their weakness, their flaws. But God saw their desire to live for him, and he called them blameless. And God says the same thing about you if you're trusting in Jesus. The second thing we see is that our faith in God, it won't result in a pain-free life. Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children, but it wasn't because of any deficiency in them. And so in a weird way, it's encouraging to realize that even the most faithful people, the people who end up in the Bible, even the most faithful people uh, suffer. If you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you were taught that you can live your best life now. That, that if only you do things God's way, then you can have the best career. You can have the best family, the best marriage, the best kids, the best house. Intellectually, you know that that's not true. You know that that's a lie. And yet when things go wrong, you're quick to blame yourself. There, there's something about that lie that you want to be true, and it's, it's in there. And so you're quick to blame yourself, or you're quick to blame God, that God has cheated you out of certain good things that you thought he'd promised. And... But this story, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it reminds us 
that our circumstances don't reflect our status before God. They often don't. The third thing to note is that we're awaiting people. We're awaiting people. Zechariah was waiting for the, the first coming of the Lord Jesus. He was waiting for God's promised Messiah to arrive on the scene. And today we're, we're awaiting people. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus to return. We're awaiting people if we're trusting in Jesus. God's people have always been waiting for the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And because some of God's great promises have not yet been fulfilled, it's right for us to feel sorrow at times. Sometimes as Christians, we can be made to feel as though we should be happy all the time. And people could have said the same thing to Zechariah. Oh, you're a priest. That's such a great job. It's a privilege. How wonderful. Elizabeth, she's such a good wife. Don't worry about kids. You have so much to be grateful for. But as a priest in Israel, it was right for Zechariah to feel sorrow about the state of God's people, to feel sorrow about the state of the world, to feel sorrow even about his own personal circumstances. And we may feel deep pain about those things as well. In fact, the three are linked if we think about it. Zechariah's and Zechariah and Elizabeth's personal circumstances served as a symbolic reminder that all was not well between God and his people. Like their marriage, Israel's relationship with God was meant to be fruitful, but it wasn't. And therefore, the world was not experiencing God's blessings through Israel. The the three are connected. And so like Zechariah, our personal circumstances can remind us that all is not well with the world. We're not yet in the new creation. We're still waiting for the Lord Jesus to return. We live in a world that's marked by violence and brokenness and injustice and pain. We wait for the Lord Jesus to return. We, we wait for God's people, ourselves, and the world to be transformed. So our, our personal sorrows, our unanswered prayers, all of those, they're, they're vivid reminders that all is not well with the world. And so because we're awaiting people, sorrow is, a, is appropriate at times. It's right for us to grieve. Those three truths are helpful and they're encouraging. But there's a fourth truth that we see in this passage, which is, which is more important. And it's, it's the one that we're going to spend the rest of our time on. The fourth truth is that we can trust God with our lives. We really can. We can trust God with our lives. Let me show you this truth through the rest of the story. So have a look at Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So the day described in the remainder of the verses, they they would have been such an emotional roller coaster for Zechariah. First of all, he had the great privilege of, of burning incense in the holy place in the temple. So the altar of incense, it was just outside the most holy place, which was the focal point of God's presence with his people at that time. So this would have been the, the high point of Zechariah's whole career as a priest. He, he's probably never done this before. He'll never get to do this again. But he was, able to, he was there to, to burn incense and offer prayers to God in the temple. He was as close as it was humanly possible to get to God without being uh, the high priest. That's the position he was in. 
And so he would, have been, he would have been happy, he would have been nervous, and then an angel appears, and he would have been terrified. In fact, he was terrified. And this angel, Gabriel, uh, tells Zechariah some really wonderful news. The angel says to him, Do not be afraid, this is verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And it's interesting, because we can pause and just ask the question, What prayer? What prayer has been heard? What prayer has been answered? The angel Gabriel goes on to speak about God giving Zechariah and Elizabeth a son. So verse 13 says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And it goes on. That's a really odd thing to say, because Zechariah probably stopped praying for a son ages ago. As a priest offering incense in the temple... Zechariah was praying for the nation of Israel. He was praying for the world, maybe, but he wasn't praying for a son. Uh, To borrow the words that Jesus taught his followers, Zechariah is most likely to have been praying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. He wanted to live in God's kingdom, not the Roman Empire. He wanted God's will to be done, not that of Caesar. But the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah, God has heard your prayer for his people, And he's going to answer it by giving you a son. The thing that Zechariah longed for, for God to revive his relationship with his people, God said, yeah, I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it through your son. Verse 16. Gabriel says, Your son will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now this is more than Zechariah hoped for, dreamed about. It's more than he prayed for. That God would visit his people and Zechariah would be the one, Zechariah's son would be the one to get people ready to meet with God. John the Baptist was being sent by God, being commissioned by God to prepare people for Christ's coming. He was there so that when the Lord Jesus came, he would be able to bring salvation and not condemnation. It's probably the wrong analogy, but Zechariah's son would be Jesus' opening act. The opening act for the Son of God, that's, that's immense. But this was, it was too much for Zechariah to believe. He could believe that God will restore his people He believed that. God God had promised it uh, frequently enough in the scriptures. But becoming a father at his age, no way. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Gabriel, are you sure you've got the right person? Is effectively what he's saying. And quite amusingly, uh, Gabriel, he's, he's really unimpressed with that response. He's not happy. Gabriel basically tells Zechariah off. Have a look at verse 19. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak with you to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel seems to be saying, listen, Zechariah, I'm a messenger of God. I'm a messenger of the living God. I stand in God's presence 
And you know what? I, I love it there. It's really great. But the news I have for you, it, it's so important. It's so, it's so good that I was sent from God's presence, which I like. I was sent from God's presence to share this good news with you. I thought you'd be happier. <laughs> Zechariah didn't believe that God would answer his prayer by giving him and Elizabeth a son. If you'd asked him, could God do such a thing? Zechariah would have been able to list off all the examples in Scripture where God did the exact same thing. Because throughout Israel's history, God had worked miraculously in all sorts of ways uh, to achieve his purposes. He'd miraculously enabled a number of infertile women to give birth to children. There was Sarah, Abraham's wife. She was unable to give birth to Isaac. There was Rebecca, Isaac's wife, who was unable to give birth to Jacob, who later became Israel. He enabled Rachel, Jacob's wife, to give birth to Joseph, who we've been reading about recently. And much later, he enabled Hannah to give birth to Samuel, the the prophet priest who anointed David, who was Israel's greatest king. So each of these women, they were infertile before God miraculously intervened to enable them to have children. And each of their children had important roles to play in the unfolding story of God's people. Zechariah knew all of this, and yet he struggled to believe that God would perform the miracles today that he'd performed in the past. Zechariah didn't expect God to act in this way in his own life. He didn't imagine that, that his story was so intricately connected with God's big story. And that's why Zechariah is so helpful for us. We often struggle to connect our Christian faith to the rest of our lives because we fail to realize that God wishes to achieve his, his grand plans, his good purposes, through his activity in our lives. We fail to realize that 99 times out of 100, it will be through the mundane, unimpressive, pedestrian activities of our lives. But whether we realize it or not, we're very much part of the same story as Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was living in a time of great disappointment. There was just such a a painful mismatch between God's promises and his reality. We're further along in the story. There's lots that we can rejoice in, we can look back upon. Christ has come. Our sins are forgiven. We're able to live purposefully in God's world. God has proven himself faithful to his promises time and time again. And yet there is sorrow. Because we're still in a broken world. We're not yet in the new creation. There are still great promises that we wait for God to fulfill. There's a painful mismatch for us between God's promises and our reality. We're further along in the story, but it's the same story. And it's the same God who is authoring the story. I don't want you to be pulled off by the extraordinary way that God works in Zechariah's life. Uh, the, the real lesson from the angel's appearance is that God is faithful. We can trust him with our lives as well, whether an angel appears or not. Even if nothing spectacular happens in our lives, the fact remains that we are living in salvation history. We're in the same story. It's just a different, it's just a different chapter. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus' return and for the new creation. And while we wait, like Zechariah, we're called to pray, God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm struck by the fact that 
God waited for Zechariah to be praying in the temple, praying on behalf of all of God's people, praying for revival before God met him in this special way. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for our own personal circumstances. But I think we can do more than that. I think we can allow our personal sorrows to to spur us, to stir us, to pray for bigger things. Because each of them remind us that this this world isn't home. There's, There's still more to come. And so we should allow ourselves to be, to be stirred, to be moved, to pray for those big things. Because the reality is that until God's kingdom come, we'll never be satisfied. Uh, this year I've been uh, very encouraged when I, uh, by realizing that the Lord Jesus in heaven is praying for us. In, um, in Isaiah 62, in Isaiah 62 uh, the Lord Jesus commi- uh, speaks of his commitment to pray for God's people to pray for our restoration. The Lord Jesus is praying for revival. And in light of God's wonderful promises, um, the Lord reassures us that he's praying for us. So listen to what uh, Jesus says in Isaiah 62. He says this, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So from heaven, the Lord Jesus reassures us that he's praying for us. Because he loves us and because he desires good for us, he says that I won't keep silent. I can't keep quiet. He's going to keep praying until his glory is seen in us. So the Lord Jesus commits himself to praying for the restoration of God's people. And if I'm honest, I'm not great at praying. I I sometimes lack confidence that my prayers will be answered. But I have every confidence that the Lord Jesus' prayers will be answered. And I'm struck that later in Isaiah 62... Jesus appoints people to join him in his prayers. Here's what he says in verse 6. He says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. When the Lord Jesus instructed his followers to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, I believe he was appointing us as watchmen and watchwomen. I believe he's speaking to us when he says, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Zechariah understood this, and so he prayed for God's amazing promises to be fulfilled. But Zechariah made one mistake. He he underestimated the role that God would have him play in that big story. He didn't realize that God would work through his own family to answer the prayer for the nation, the, the, the prayer for the world. Zechariah didn't realize that God wanted to work even through the details of his own life to achieve 
his great purposes. How about you? Will you join Jesus in praying for the coming of God's kingdom? And perhaps the, the more important question is this. Do you believe that God will answer that prayer through his work in your life? In other words, do you, will, you trust, will you trust God with the details of your life? May God renew and strengthen our confidence in his goodness. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that we can trust you with our lives, that we can take our, our burdens, our sorrows to you, that the things that occupy us from day to day, from moment to moment, that the stresses that we feel, the anxieties uh, that we encounter, that those things aren't hidden from you. We praise you, Lord God, because they remind us that we're not yet home, that we're not yet in the new creation, we're not yet in your kingdom. And so we ask, Lord God, that you'd help us to trust you and to live life with you. We pray, Father God, that you'd be working in our lives, through our lives, to draw people to yourself, to grow your people in holiness, and to bring glory to your name. Father God, we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if Joel and the musicians would mind returning. Thank you, guys. I want to lead us in a, another just response of prayer as we reflect on this such an important and weighty word. The scriptures call us to live by faith and to trust in God, don't they? And that has to trickle right down into our emotional lives, our posture toward God. I think a lot of times um, it's true, the things that Felix was highlighting there, that it's possible to have lived the righteous life like Zachariah was living, but to also be then void of a sense of hope and trust and confidence in God. And I, I, I think God wants to pick some of you up today and assure you of his love and his purposes and his goodness to help you reconnect with trust in him. Understand that you are loved. Understand that he has intention and purpose. Know what it means to walk by faith and to trust in him. Rely on his goodness. I want to invite you just to bow your heads and let's just pray again. I, I know that Felix has already prayed, but it's so good to just voice our hope and our desire to God in this way. Father, We ask your forgiveness, Lord, that we are, our first response so often is a lack of expectation and trust in the way that Zechariah expressed doubt to Gabriel. I pray that you'll come and renew strength. I pray that, Lord, where you're, these brothers and sisters, where there are those who have begun to doubt, begun to be uncertain of your goodness. May they know something of a rekindled trust and faith in you today.
We thank you that you see us. We thank you, Lord, that you are kind towards us. And I pray, come, Holy Spirit, even now. To elevate us. To teach us what trust is. To look to you. Amen. Please stand.